Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for Conversations of Consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon to you. We've got Father Mitch Pockwood joining us in this hour. Our topic, Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is, the, the scroll of Isaiah is the longest of all the prophets' works. It's the second longest book of the Bible. Psalms is more than twice its size. But its importance for uh, believing communities was recognized very early. If you take a look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, for instance, uh, there are more copies of the Isaiah Scroll there than any other book. It's the second most cited Old Testament book in the New Testament, 63 times. Psalms has 67, so you can see it's right up there. And when St. Jerome wrote his famous line, ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ, he wrote it in his introduction to Isaiah, which he saw as the gospel in Old Testament form. We're going to take time with Father Mitch Pacwa to go over this uh, remarkable book. And his this is a new commentary published by Tan. It's an in-depth look at the Gospel of the Old Testament, Isaiah, and it's actually, the book itself is arranged in uh, 26 lessons, so it's, it's, uh, it's structured for, for your study, and we'll be going, of course, it'll be available in the online bookstore. But before we get uh, to Isaiah, let's get to today's headlines with Steve Clark. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Monday, February 26th. It's the Feast of St. Paula of St. Joseph of Calisans. Today's news brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing love and care and assistance for seniors in need at visitingangels.com. At least 15 Catholics were killed in an attack during Mass yesterday in Burkina Faso. There are reports that 12 people were killed on the scene, while three others later died from their injuries. The attack is the latest in a series of atrocities blamed on groups linked to al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. Pope Francis canceled his appointments today as he battled a mild flu, but appeared to be in good form during yesterday's Angelus. An announcement from the Vatican press office says he doesn't have a fever, but did not hint further at his condition. Sweden has cleared the final hurdle to join NATO, Hungary's parliament voting today to ratify the Nordic country's bid after two years of negotiations. Hungary objected to Sweden joining NATO, but dropped their objections last year. The historically neutral country will be the 32nd member of NATO, with Finland also working on a bid to join the alliance. The U.S. Supreme Court is deciding the legality of a Texas law that bans social media companies from blocking users based on viewpoint. Aaron Nielsen is the state's solicitor general. If these algorithms are constitutionally protected, platforms may be able to continue selling advertisers the ability to um, to discriminate based on race. The Texas law passed back in 2021 after social media companies banned former President Trump. The companies today argue that laws limiting how they operate violate their First Amendment rights to free speech. They compare themselves to newspapers and argue they should have the right to make editorial decisions. 
And both President Biden and Donald Trump will visit the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas this week. Biden will travel to Brownsville Thursday to meet with Border Patrol agents, while Trump will reportedly visit Eagle Pass. From your AveMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now is Father Mitch Pacwa, S.J. Father Mitch is the author, most recently, of a commentary on the book of Isaiah, an in-depth look at the gospel of the Old Testament. He's founder and president of Ignatius Productions. He's a host on EWTN television and radio, which, of course, many of us know him from his many uh, appearances and his ongoing program. He's the author of more than 20 other books. Uh, He received his doctorate uh, in Old Testament at Vanderbilt University, and uh, he was ordained a Jesuit Catholic priest in 1976. Father Mitch, good to have you here. Well, it's always good to be with you. This this project on Isaiah, um, when did you decide you were going to devote so much time to this book? Um, a few years ago, I, you know, it was a request from the Catholic Bible uh, Scripture Study. It was, there's an organization called Catholic Scripture Study, yeah, and they do a fine job of getting a number of folks to uh, do this kind of uh, Scripture work on a wide variety of books, and I had done, uh, they, they do something interesting where they will have one person write a book and another person present the classes on it. And so I was uh, asked to write this book. I'd actually done presentations on some of the other books, like uh, Joshua and Judges, and uh, one on the angels and one on Hebrews. So, you know, I, I really have uh, a lot of admiration for them. It, it, what they're doing is truly tremendous work. Um, and, you know, I was glad to do it. Very good. I'll, I'll ask the most basic question, and that will get us into all questions about sure. dating and introduction and all this business. Yeah. Who was Isaiah? All right. Isaiah was uh, a layman living in Jerusalem. Um, He was an interesting character because he had fairly easy access to a number of kings so that he would be, uh, uh, it it was easy to get hold of him uh, and also for him to go and speak to the kings of Judea. And uh, even if that was a critical speech, uh, he was able to do that. Um, This is uh, itself, you know, a significant thing. He's one of the uh, really good writers in the Old Testament. He has a tremendous style. And you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, a lot of times people uh, don't notice that and because, you know, they don't 
always read the uh, ancient text. Right. Uh, right. But that's that's something that is useful to know. And in the case of Isaiah, you, you can contrast him with Micah. Micah lived at the same time, but Micah really was a country boy. I mean, he, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have much use for the city. Yeah, he did not like the city slickers of Jerusalem. He was fairly critical, you know. Uh, the sin of Israel is Samaria, their capital city, and the sin of Judah is Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, he, was, he was not pro-city slicker, whereas Isaiah knew very well what was going on in the city. And he very much um, uh, was able to address the situations in uh, Jerusalem, not only with the king, uh, because we see him go right up to King Hezekiah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at a time of great crisis, and say, "Ask a sign from the Lord." Uh, and excuse me, not uh, Hezekiah, Hezekiah's father, uh, Ahab, uh, Ahab. And but later on, he also was able to talk to Hezekiah. Uh, apparently, had some access to King Uzziah. Um, you know, so he had this kind of royal access and was critical. It's not that he, uh, you know, schmoozed these folks. He was very critical of the the. He called, in fact, you, you see early in the book that he calls them, uh, chapter one, uh, princes of Sodom. And leaders of Gomorrah. I mean, wow. he, he just did not have uh, a lot of respect, but it wasn't because they lived in the city the way you sometimes get a sense of Micah's thinking, mm-hmm. um, but rather because he, he knew the sins they were doing. So that's that's uh, the, the Isaiah. And he lived, uh, well, at least he is prophesying from somewhere around 750. And just to get perspective, that's just a couple of years after the founding of the city of Rome by Romulus and Remus. And then he prophesies all the way until at least 701. So it's uh, it's just about 50 years or so uh, of prophesying. He may have even continued a little bit into the 690s. Uh, so he's he's a prophet for about fifty years, um, and is obviously a very significant person. Now you do something in this commentary that um, many conservative scholars don't do, and that is you actually pay attention to the differences of style, vocabulary, <laughs> historical references. Mm-hmm. that uh, show that there, there were uh, other hands uh, working to form this r- remarkable document. Yes. Where are these part of, did Isaiah have like a school of prophets or these? That, well, we see that in Isaiah chapter 8, where he's addressing his disciples. <laughs> so, you know, Having disciples is, uh, is something that is found in the book of Isaiah. And we see, for instance, uh, some parts 
of Isaiah um, will uh, ad- address very different historical situations than Isaiah himself knew. Uh, for instance, uh, in Isaiah 40 to 55, uh, you s- see Cyrus the Great, the king of the Persians, mm. is addressed. Yeah. And not as someone who will come in the future, but as a present force. Yeah. Now, this places uh, that and uh, a few other things I can mention, uh, is addressing a situation of the Jewish people in exile in Babylon. And he's addressing the circumstances of being in Babylon in a way that uh, first Isaiah mentions Babylon because, in fact, um, Babylon was rebelling against the Assyrian king uh, during the lifetime of Isaiah. But uh, and he's got those details correct. That's one of the things I tried to show. Uh, in sections of the, the original person, Isaiah, he gives a number of prophecies critical of the foreigners. Not only Israel, his primary concern is Israel, but he criticizes the other countries too. And, you know, one of the things I try to show is that those criticisms fit events of the time of Isaiah, the first Isaiah. Yes. But when you get from 40 to 55, you have this very different situation. And uh, uh, and again, not as a prophecy that will happen off in the future, but as something going on in the yeah. present. Yeah. You also see that the Forms of speech. See, this is one of the things that's very useful to uh, pay attention to. Different uh, forms of speech are used in Isaiah 40 to 55 than in the, the first Isaiah. Especially, you see these oracles of salvation. Uh, and these are a type of speech that was used by the priests when they would uh, hear, they would accept a sacrifice from a person, and they would, um, you know, for, say, a sin offering or a guilt offering, and they would give a statement of the forgiveness and the reconciliation. And that, that was called an oracle of salvation, and frequently the priests and Levites would act as prophets in the temple. Uh, Especially if you look at Chronicles, uh, you see very clearly how the priests and Levites acted as uh, in a prophetic way. But not prophetic as prophesying the future, but as addressing the people now, the Lord has accepted your sacrifice. In the case of Isaiah 40 to 55, they are not near the temple. They're in Babylon. Mm. And yet he uses these 
this form of proclaiming salvation. He also presents uh, criticism. There's a, a form of speech very common in that same section of 40 to 55 called, the uh, in Hebrew, Reeve. Uh, this is a lawsuit. And you see the Lord God suing the people of Israel for having broken the covenant. Yes. And he does that in order to say, I was the one that told you you would be brought into exile. You didn't listen to me. I warned you. And this is the punishment I decreed. But now I am proclaiming your salvation and that you are going to let go. And my chosen servant is Cyrus. Hmm. I take him by the hand, and I'm going to let him lead you out of Babylon. And that is the prediction that Cyrus of Persia will um, lead the people of Israel out. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. So we usually date Isaiah 40 to 55 to be right around 540. It could be 541 or so. Um, But Cyrus was coming towards uh, Babylon, and by 538, he conquered it. Father, hold it there. We've got to take a break. The music's coming up under us, and we're going to come back and continue uh, looking at the book of Isaiah. Uh, This is commentary that Father Mitch has uh, contributed, published by TAN. It's an in-depth look at the Gospel of the Old Testament. Christ is the Answer, with Father John Ricardo. John 6, verses uh, 48 to 58. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread, meaning me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that a man may eat of it and never die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh, at which the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're scandalized by this. How is it that we're not? How is it that we just hear this and go, oh yeah, I know that passage. They're just outraged and at least perplexed. Sane people, inspired teachers, wise men, prophets don't say things like this. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. The church teaches us that every Catholic family is meant to be a domestic church. That sounds nice, but what does it really mean? Well, a domestic church is a household of people united to each other and God through the sacramental life of the church and committed to living out Christ's sacrificial love in their relationships with each other and the world. The degree to which your family already lives this vision is the degree to which your family already is a domestic church. And the degree to which your family struggles to live that vision is the degree to which your family is called to become a domestic church. Every Catholic household is a domestic church that's called to witness to the already present but not yet fulfilled kingdom of God. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, 
visit catholiccounselors.com. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and his gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Ave Maria Radio invites you to feast on the joy of fasting this Lenten season and all year long. Fast from judging. Feast on loving. Fast from noise. Feast on silence. Fast from differences. Feast on unity. Fasting is a part of true Christian life. It liberates us from this world as we grow closer to Christ. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Father Mitch Pacwa, S.J. He has uh, given us a commentary on the book of Isaiah. It's an in-depth look at the gospel of the Old Testament. We're discussing um, Isaiah, the historical person from the 8th century B.C., and um, the book Isaiah also contains material from the 6th century uh, B.C., and so the the questions people have is, what's the relationship between these different, um, quote, Isaiahs, which are differentiated by vocabulary, by style, by historical references? How many many, uh, contributors would you say uh, we have to Isaiah? I try to I, I do identify uh, a number. Um, uh, for instance, um, identify as contributors um, I, Proto-Isaiah from the eighth century BC, mm-hmm. 750 to about 700. Secondly, Deutero-Isaiah, uh, and he is writing in the five about 540 or so. Uh, you also have uh, a section, uh, a history section, about, it tells stories about Isaiah, uh, the, the historical one, and um, 
that is from the Book of Kings. Hmm. And so that's a distinct yeah. uh, person. And then um, you also have, um, uh, in addition to uh, that historical source, you've got material from um, uh, in 35 and 36 that comes right before that. That is uh, a distinct author. Then 24 to 27, this uh, I date, uh, I think, fairly, uh, you know, uh, solid reasoning, uh, to sometime at between 2nd Isaiah, or Deutero-Isaiah in the 540s, to uh, about 500, so somewhere in that period after they return to the land. And then there is Trito-Isaiah. Trito-Isaiah is writing around 473. The reason I date that fairly specifically is it makes reference to the Jubilee year. Remember our Lord cited uh, Isaiah 60, yeah. the Spirit of the Lord is upon in, me. In Luke chapter 4. anointed me. Right. His yeah. sermon, his first sermon in Nazareth, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is, uh, is upon me. He has anointed me to uh, bring good news to the poor and release to prisoners and a year of favor. That year of favor is a reference to the Jubilee. And the uh, but in that section you also see, um, in for instance in Isaiah fifty six, that it mentions those who are allowed to come to the temple, including foreigners and eunuchs. Normally, men who had been castrated were not allowed to worship. Hmm. Um, you know, that was something forbidden, and they're allowed if they keep the Sabbath. Hmm. So, uh, the, but what that means is the temple has been rebuilt. It was rebuilt between 520 and 515 yeah. B.C. Yeah. So, if that's the case, and that this is a jubilee, the first jubilee after the rebuilding of the temple is the year 473. Gotcha. The jubilees were held every 73rd and 23rd year of a century. And so that's why I dated that specifically. And you see criticisms of the way people are worshiping. This is not about coming back to Jerusalem. It's not first Isaiah's strong criticism of the immorality of the people uh, and the political corruption and the, the wealth. It's much more a criticism of improper worship. People are ignoring their neighbors who are in need, and they're thinking that God is satisfied with their fasting when they're mean and and harsh and uh, are not 
uh, in the spirit of the Jubilee. And that fits that, that period because it's right after that Jubilee, maybe within a few years, the prophet Malachi is making similar criticisms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then a short generation later, the uh, priest Ezra and the layman Nehemiah bring about a re- the reform that tried to Isaiah and Malachi wanted. Yeah, so that you, know, you can see the kind of criticisms made in those prophets is finally corrected sometime after 450. But you know the the prophets felt the urgency in uh, you know before the coming of Ezra and Nehemiah to bring about reform and their cry for reform helped to bring it about. So that's why I dated them. Now, so why are they brought together into the yeah, canonical text that we have? Right. Here's uh, it's <clears throat> the process is not laid out. It's not defined uh, very clearly inside the book. They don't say why they did it this right, way. Right. We have to reconstruct a little bit. Um, but here would be the the way that I would put it. This is a, kind of a Catholic perspective. But to see, first Isaiah is such a strong figure that he gathers disciples, as we see, again, in Isaiah 8. It mentions that he has disciples. And those disciples form something of a school, perhaps parallel to the role of St. Benedict and the Benedictines. Mm -hmm. St. Francis and St. Dominic and St. Ignatius Loyola and their respective orders, the Franciscans, Dominicans, and Jesuits. And that, you know, for centuries after the founder the members of that community keep on adapting the rule of their order mm-hmm. to new circumstances. Yeah. yeah. And this would be, I think, the model for Isaiah and his school, that as uh, a new circumstance such as the uh, ex- exile in uh, Babylon where I I assume that members of his school were in or among the the first exiles. And they reflected on this, and they uh, they were inspired. I think it was uh, due to Isaiah is one prophet, that one member of the community felt the uh, prophetic anointing. And uh, notice, if you look... At any of those sections from chapter 40 through 66, they never say they're written by Isaiah. Right. They never claim to be written by Isaiah. Yeah. They are, uh, you know, composed by, you know, we don't know who. And that is one of the things going on there. Yeah. So that they, that's, they continued the school and the, the study. Yes, that, that makes... makes uh perfect sense to me. Um, 
If I can just take a quick look, somebody's at my door. Yeah, well, you do that, and uh, I hope it's all right. <laughs> Talking to Father Mitch Pacwa. Uh, his commentary in the Book of Isaiah has just been published, and uh, we're enjoying talking over the various segments, um, portions uh, of Isaiah. Uh, right, right. Sorry, it just took a quick second. Good. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad uh, there wasn't any violence at the door. So it's good. <laughs> no, I was good this time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, let me let me mention one thing. If I were writing Isaiah. I would have started with chapter six. <laughs> right, right. I would have started with that. And why piece. would you have started with chapter six, my good man? I would have started because there you see the grand vision of the high and holy one who inhabits eternity. Isaiah right. is unraveled uh, in his presence, and then he's commissioned. To go forward, right. so that's I would say that's the place to begin the book with the commissioning. But of course, and a I, no, <laughs> number of people agree with you, and they they oftentimes will try to uh, have the beginning of the book. Uh, there, they'll, they'll sometimes start it there. I don't think so. <laughs> this is a new situation. Uh, the king was sick. And he is, um, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, the, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the year King Uzziah died. And uh, so there's a new king and a new circumstance. And one element of that circumstance is that when Uzziah died, a, um, uh, a period of history came to an end, mm-hmm. that very same year, uh, which was 745 A.D., uh, or B.C., sorry, 745 B.C., uh, the year that King Uzziah died, the, uh, Bav- the Assyrian Empire began a new period of tremendous violence. Uh, the new king was Tiglath-Pileser III. And he began conquering all over the West of his, and creating a new empire. And that was uh, the new situation that, in which the Lord appeared to him. So Isaiah 6, there would be a recommissioning. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Father, hold it there. I, Take another break, and we'll continue looking at the book of Isaiah with Father Mitch Pacwa, S.J. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. 
Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. So many people call themselves Christian, call themselves Catholic, call themselves Evangelical, whatever, and they're nothing more than members of the Church of what's happening now, as Slip Wilson used to say. You want direction, you want guidance, go to the source. Go to Jesus, go to Scripture, go to the Church teachings. Not to Whoopi Goldberg, not to, and we pray for her, but Nancy Pelosi's version of Catholicism or Joe Biden's version of Catholicism or any other politician that holds fast to their quote-unquote Catholic faith, yet consistently, consistently and blatantly not just speaks against the church, but acts against the church. We need to pray for these people, and we need to encourage bishops to stand up for the truth and not be afraid. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. What are the important elements to prayer? In order to pray, says the Catholic Catechism, one must have the will to pray. It is not enough to know what Scripture reveals about prayer. We must learn how to pray. Through sacred tradition in a believing and praying church, the Holy Spirit teaches the children of God how to pray. The Catechism tells us that prayer is one of the several wellsprings where Christ awaits us to enable us to drink of the Holy Spirit. The Church exhorts all the faithful to acquire a surpassing knowledge of Christ through the reading of divine scripture. Prayer should always accompany such reading in order that a dialogue may take place between God and man. We speak to Him when we pray. He speaks to us when we read the divine oracles. Seek in reading, say spiritual writers, and you will find in meditating. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Let me mention that for more than 40 years, EW10 has been praying with and for people around the world. And we want to pray with you. Uh, If there's something weighing on your heart, uh, struggles with family members, health, financial difficulties, we'd love to include you on our prayer list. Go to EWTN.com slash prayer. That's EWTN.com slash prayer. My guest is Father Mitch Pacwa, SJ. We are looking at the gospel, well, actually the book of Isaiah, which has been called the gospel of the Old Testament. You point out, Father, that uh, St. Jerome 
when he penned his famous line, Ignorance of Scripture is Ignorance of Christ, uh, he wrote it right. in his introduction to Isaiah, which he saw as the gospel in Old Testament form. Exactly. Tell me why he exactly. sees, he calls it the gospel. Well, he, this is a very important component of what's going on in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is filled with prophecies about Jesus Christ. Um, this isn't always popular uh, to talk about this aspect of the gospel, right. but it is essential to see the gospel as something that is, um, you know, uh, given to us by our Lord Jesus. And these this didn't happen, you know, just out of the clear blue, but there are very specific prophecies that apply to him uh, found within the book of Isaiah. That's why we see this. And so, one, I, I, let me just give some examples in terms of the gospel of Christ. Uh, one example is that he uh, definitely speaks about the uh, birth of Christ coming to a virgin. Uh, it's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that he proclaims, a virgin shall conceive and call his name Emmanuel. Um, uh, sound familiar? <laughs> uh, you know, it should. Um, you know, this is uh, the gospel. And then we see that it's Christ who is talked about as um, the one filled with the Holy Spirit, who then, uh, you know, uh, has the Spirit of the Lord upon him, and that a shoot from the stump of Jesse shall spring up. Now, what is this referring to? This is referring to the family of David. Jesse was David's father. And in that, uh, Jesse is... Uh, uh, has the shoot, uh, you know, olive trees uh, can be cut down to the stump, and a shoot will come out and will grow so strong that that shoot will become like another tree. Mm. Well, that's a prophecy about Christ, and here's an interesting thing. The word for shoot is, in Hebrew, uh, is netzer. The town Jesus was raised in was Nazareth. Mm. Nazareth was named after that verse. (laughs) And then you have, you know, uh, among these very poignant uh, prophecies that um, you see uh, the prophecy of the suffering servant, Mm -hmm. that this servant of the Lord will be rejected, and uh, he will be uh, beaten by his stripes, we will be healed, and he bears the sins of us all. This prophecy is about Christ's role in saving the world, 
And then you go down a little bit further. It's in Isaiah 53. And just a little bit further, it mentions that he will be buried among the wicked and then will rise again. Hmm. Um, sound familiar? I mean, he yeah. was, the, yeah. the fact that he was crucified between two thieves. The Roman soldiers did not say, hey, look, there's this line in Isaiah. Why don't we put two thieves on either side of Jesus just to make sure we fulfill it? They had never read the old prophet Isaiah or these other Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled. And that brings up a point. I remember there was a cult leader back in the 70s who said Jesus died accidentally. It was a mistake, um, and he was too weak. But I'm the new Messiah because uh, I I don't get killed. Um, that was Sun Myung no. Moon, I think, wasn't it? Well, that that's that's he. Yeah, and uh, you know that um, you know misses the point that. Christ's suffering and death was predicted yes. 570 years before it happened. Yeah. yeah, That's important. And so we see that this isn't just a haphazard set of events, but God had been preparing through Proto-Isaiah and Deutero-Isaiah. You also see in Isaiah 25 the first mention of uh, the clear, first clear mention of the resurrection of the dead in general at the end of the, uh, of the world. Um, these are very important things. A number of, uh, remember when the, the father, we just had the reading of, uh, of uh, Jesus' baptism a few weeks ago, uh, at the week after um, uh, the, bap- the uh, epiphany, and the father is quoting, this is my uh, son, my beloved, he's quoting Isaiah 42. Hmm. And then uh, this past weekend when we had the transfiguration, the father's quoting that same passage from Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, these, uh, and then even with the um, uh, designation of Peter as the rock, there is, and it, uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Right. That makes better sense when you know that the prime minister of Judea had a key laid on his shoulder as a symbol of his being the prime minister. He had the key to the palace. So that that passage is pointing to Jesus as the king, to be sure. But he is appointing St. Peter as uh, a prime minister type of character. Right. Uh, and, you know, and it makes better sense to understand the role of the keys from Isaiah 22. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it's, it is remarkable uh, how often Isaiah uh, shows up in the New Testament. I think you mentioned it's something like 68 times or so. Yeah. Uh, so that's quite a bit. It's just tremendous. Yeah. And the only reason you have a little bit more in the Psalms is, A, they also predict, I mean, Psalm 22 right. is quoted by Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people say, oh, did Jesus become an atheist? No. <laughs> Read the rest of the Psalm. Right. And you see that it says, they have uh, pierced my hands and feet. They have numbered all my bones. That happened in the scourging. 
and they had cast lots for my clothing and divided my garments among them. Well, uh, that happened. Again, the Roman soldiers didn't say, oh, look, Psalm 22, let's make that happen. No, they were just doing what they did, but they fulfilled that prophetic psalm, and there are many, many other psalms, especially Psalm 110. That is quoted more often than any psalm or any chapter of the Bible. And, you know, so because the book of Psalms is slightly larger than Isaiah, it gets more quotes. But, you know, you you see how important this is. So during uh, Lent, and especially during Advent, we read a lot from Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to have people take a look at Isaiah in its historical context. Uh, for me, a very important part of biblical interpretation is first try to understand it in its historical context. These are not modern people. These are ancient people. But we can understand something of their point of view by looking at those kind of words, the vocabulary, the styles of speech, forms of speech, all these things. We can understand the passage better. And then, uh, as we understand that, we can then find that we share a common humanity. Even though their culture is from a long time ago, that does not isolate them from us. A lot of uh, modern Americans are being taught that if it's something old, then it has nothing to say to us anymore. That's very foolish. The only way you can get perspective on your own time is to look to the past. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you read old books, you get perspective on the present moment. We take our culture for granted by looking at ancient books. We see, well, they, they, they're humans like we are, They and they really share a number of the same qualities, but they did have a different culture. And what can I see in the way... They sinned, and they were virtuous. Where were they heroic? Where were they cowardly? Where were they selfish? Where were they generous? You know, I can recognize these human qualities, but I also get perspective on my own times so that I don't just take, oh, this is the way life is. Not necessarily. Right. Right. And we may learn some very positive things from the past, especially when these are in, inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God. And I think that's key. I think it's, it's the, the biblical story uh, from Genesis to Revelation is remarkable. There's a coherence yeah. to it. Uh, that's just stunning. And Isaiah plays a big part, a big role in in maintaining that continuity between the covenants, between the testaments. Uh, And I I think, again, uh, St. Jerome, when he says ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ, uh, he's showing the, the close relationship between the Word made flesh 
in the Word made Scripture. Uh, right. You know, you you want to uh, if you want to grow draw close to Christ, there are ways to do it. We know, of course, supremely in the sacrament of the Eucharist, but uh, you also draw close to Christ in yeah. embedding yourself in the Scriptures. And um, Isaiah is a is a great prophet uh, to read. Now, people, it's a big book, so. Do people just pick it up and read it through? What do you suggest? Well, see, because I organized it, um, you know, uh, chronologically, I put the different prophecies in order of them being given and help people to see this is a sequence and a story. You can read it that way, but a lot of times you're taking a look at uh, the prophet Isaiah of passage in Scripture. So look that up and then see it in this context. You can do it either way. Father, once again, always good talking with you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. It's great to be with you. Father Mitch Pacwa, commentary on the book of Isaiah. He was a Jesuit, a cardinal, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. Robert Bellarmine is honored for his immense contributions to theology, including helping to draft two important catechisms that defended church teachings during the Protestant Revolt. Pope Clement VIII named Bellarmine a cardinal because, as the Pope put it, Bellarmine had not his equal for learning. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. This communion with Jesus and with one another that being united to Him and abiding in Him, that is the indispensable condition for bearing fruit. That's why our Lord says, back in John 15, verse 5, Apart from Me, you can do nothing. If you're not united to Christ, you're not going to do anything for Him. So communion with Jesus, our Savior, focusing on Him and getting to know Him and be known by Him, that is what makes it possible for us to bear fruit as Christians. And communion with others is the most magnificent fruit that the branches can give. That's one of the things that he's looking for from us, that we have a communion with one another, that we have a love and a concern. Does it mean we agree with one another? Not necessarily. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Thank you for being with me. Father Mitch's book is available in the online bookstore there. And we also have the articles that I mentioned in the first hour uh, in the Cresta Guest Archives, reminding those in uh, Southeast Michigan, Northern Ohio, this Saturday is the Familiaris Consortio Conference, our annual conference. This year the topic is Male and Female, He Created Them. Responding to, responding to gender dysphoria in truth and charity. We have uh, Dr. Uh, Attorney John Bursch to talk about the 
attitude of the church towards gender ideology. We have Dr. Paul Cruz examining the scientific evidence, and Father Sean Kilcawley will take us uh, in the pastoral uh, direction. I'll be uh, hosting a panel, and there'll be lots of time for questions. So again, go to fgrhs.org events. That's FGR. in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.